Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, the convoy wages on and the Liberals still have nothing more to offer but vilification and smears. Also, what does Aaron O'Toole's leadership ousting mean for the Conservative movement? Plus, one of the convoy's lawyers joins me to talk about the legal battle. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North, Friday, February 4th, 2022. I've lost count of how far we are in the convoy because... It's really, I mean, we're been, we're doing a tracking uh, series at True North about this, and I think we're up to like day 13 or 14 or something. But it's tough because some people start the convoy on Saturday of last week, and when the official festivities start, if you can call them that, in Ottawa. But I got there Friday, and it was still a rip-roaring affair. And then when we got to a lot of people looking at this as when the convoy started, but they started at different points. So whatever day we're on, suffice it to say, it's a couple of weeks, and we're looking at quite a, a significant chapter in history. But the battle lines are being redrawn around this. And a lot of people that uh, were at first just trying to dismiss it as irrelevant were forced to reckon with the fact that it was a, a real thing and a big deal, which is why the narrative shifted from saying it was nothing and just a bunch of yahoos to, okay, well, they're racist, they're evil, they're hateful. And then people started to see the footage of that not being the case, of people dancing, of people singing. I saw this one video yesterday, which I absolutely love. It was captured, I believe, by a post-millennial journalist. And, I mean, just look at this raucous, racist hate fest. <laughs> There they are, holding arms, walking in a circle, singing We Are the World, a song written to raise money for Africa, written by two black men and produced by another, the great legend himself, Quincy Jones. So racist. Uh, Rupa Subramanya of the National Post has been doing a lot of great work, and she should be commended for this. She's just going and talking to real people and finding there's a diverse array of perspectives, of backgrounds, ethnic and otherwise, of people that are at this convoy for any number of reasons who don't fit the mold that the liberals and the mainstream media have tried to insert them into. And again, when you look at what's actually going on, you can't dismiss this as violent. You can't denigrate or malign these people unless you're doing it in bad faith, which is precisely what's happened. So all of that hasn't worked. So now the narrative is shifting one more time. And this is where I think it's going to linger for a while. They're disrupting infrastructure. People in Ottawa need to get on with their lives. All of these different things that are being said, which is why you have Ottawa Police, for example, going on a Twitter thread talking about how it's going to be deploying its crack investigative skills to look at license plates, financial records, surveillance footage. They're trying to build a criminal file, it looks like, on every single person in downtown Ottawa who happens to be aligned or allied with the convoy. 
And I don't know what's going to happen. Justin Trudeau has said that he can stand down and will stand down the military. He said he's not going to deploy troops. Ottawa police, it seems like, and again, this is just speculation on my part, looking at, at, at this from a bird's eye view perspective. It looks like Ottawa police doesn't want to go in there and have to be left holding the bag if it goes wrong. They want political direction. The politicians, however, don't want that. They don't want to have to be holding the bag either. They want police to go in there so they can say, well, I mean, we're in, they're independent. Well, you, you don't want politicians directing police, right? That's where this is now. I don't think anyone wants to be held responsible for what will happen if they start going in there. And if I'm being perfectly candid, there are aspects of this that I'm very uncomfortable with because of the double standards. A lot of people that had no issue with Idle No More and Occupy are saying this is the worst thing to happen in Ottawa. The military needs to be called in. And similarly, people that have been against blockades and were against occupations like you saw on Occupy Wall Street are saying that they're completely fine with this. So that hypocrisy does cut both ways. But the thing that's interesting to note here is that this inconsistency is completely of no interest to the media and to Justin Trudeau. They're fine uh, meeting with some protesters and who have some grievances, but only if those grievances are on side. They're not interested in having a discussion with the truckers. Uh, Francois Legault, a man who I find is just an absolutely contemptible human being for all the things that his government has done, he at least was not going to hide from the convoy. He said that he would be prepared to meet them. Again, that's the bare minimum he could do after threatening to fine the unvaccinated after imposing a curfew. That's the bare minimum. So I'm not giving him a gold star, but I am saying that at least he is not cowering like so many other politicians are. You've got Ontario Premier Doug Ford saying go home. You've got Justin Trudeau that just decides to camp out at Harrington Lake with uh, this uh, convenient <laughs> convenient COVID strain and say that he is uh, wanting this all to just go away. Candace Bergen, the new interim leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, I think had a very strong performance in question period where she said, at the very least, can we see an olive branch here? And Christian Freeland said nothing of substance, nothing at all, really. I mean, you may say what else is new, but the government is not willing to accept that perhaps it has pushed people to the brink and it has created this problem. This is entirely a problem of the government's creation. I'm going to talk very shortly with one of the lawyers representing the convoyers, and we'll talk about what exactly that means and, and what the threats are right now, because it isn't just Ottawa police, it's also big tech. So that's coming up very shortly. But I do have to talk for a little bit about what's happened in the Conservative Party of Canada this week. Now, I'm going to take a bigger picture look at this for two reasons. I don't like the horse race stuff when there are actually no horses racing. It's easy to get in there and start being like, oh, you know, is this backbench MP from Saskatchewan going to run? Or is this person going to run? Or is this person going to run? I, I don't like doing that unless we're actually seeing movement. Right now, the big battle was who was going to be the interim leader after the defenestration of Aaron O'Toole. That was settled very soon after, and it was Candace Bergen, a great choice. She's a deputy leader. She's a solid conservative. She's well-liked. And then onward they move. The big question now is who seeks the leadership and who succeeds 
in that leadership bid. Last time we saw it really was a two-horse race between Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole. Obviously, the other candidates who made it to the final stage, Derek Sloan and Leslin Lewis, had an effect. They were the reason that Aaron O'Toole won, because he needed that down-ballot support from social conservatives, but it was, from the beginning, a two-horse race, and there, there was never any movement from that. This time around, I don't know. I mean, I, it's impossible to have a discussion about the leadership without someone. And again, I just know you're in the comments right now saying Pierre Polyev, Pierre, Pierre Polyev, Pierre Polyev. Candace Malcolm and I did a live stream the day that O'Toole was ousted. And it was like six minutes after the result was announced. We were on air. We were live. That's how responsive we were. And like every comment was Pierre Polyev, Pierre Polyev, Pierre Polyev. There was like a Leslin Lewis thrown in there every seven or eight. And then there was a Maxime Bernier or bust every now and then. But most people I know want Pierre Polyev to be the leader. If he gets in, he's not just this principled conservative ideologue. He's organized. He's well-liked. He's well-connected. So he can mount a very successful campaign, raise a lot of money, electrify the race, suck the oxygen out entirely from other people if he gets in. It's just very clearly known that he is considering a run. The question, I think, will be when he decides to pull that trigger. My recommendation would be, if I were advising him, to do it early because I think it'll scare a lot of people out of the race. The question looming is whether Peter McKay wants to jump back in. As I understand it, he's got a fair bit of campaign debt, so he might not even be allowed to, or if he is, he might have to raise the money to pay back that before he can start anything else. But, but all of that is to say that I, I think that a lot of people, and this gets to the bigger picture part, realize that the delusion that was advanced by the more moderate faction of the Conservative Party leading up to the 2021 election didn't work. And this is the old myth that all the conservatives need to do to win is be more like the liberals, to be more liked by the media, to move to the center, to not talk about red meat conservative policies. And if you do that, the media will get off your back, moderates and liberals alike will like you, and you'll win in the so-called vote-rich GTA, you'll pick up in Quebec, and then you'll be on track to a majority government, and Bob's your uncle. Not Bob Ray, the mythical Bob of the idiom. Okay, Aaron O'Toole did that. He rolled on the few red meat conservative policies he had previously propo proposed, like uh, rolling back the Trudeau government's uh, firearms ban, like defunding and privatizing CBC, like protecting conscience rights for healthcare workers. He did all that. In some cases, he rolled on them in the matter of the same press conference and still lost. And not only did he lose, he lost more than Andrew Scheer lost. He, he lost seats that had been gained when the Conservatives had a socially conservative leader just two years prior, admittedly not uh, as clear in communicating that social conservatism, but the point stands. Andrew Scheer as well tried to be liked. He tried to deny who he was and by extension who the Conservative base is. And in doing so, what happened? He lost. Right now, there are no shortage of columnists. If you look in the Toronto Star, even the National Post, the Globe and Mail, telling you, people who have never voted Conservative in their lives, telling you what the Conservative Party should be, trying to pretend that they can speak to the heart and soul of the Conservative movement and of Conservative Canada. Why on earth would anyone listen to these people? They don't want Conservatism to succeed. And when they say conservatism can't succeed, when they say it is an unwinnable ideology, an unwinnable philosophy, that's not true. They're saying they don't want it to. Nothing pleases these people more than by having a litany of left-wing choices so that no matter who wins, there's going to be a left-wing person. 
That's what they want. They want more left-wing options. They don't want there to be a conservative party. They don't think it contributes anything of value. If anything, it takes away from what they want and uh, uproots their cultural hegemony, to borrow from Gramsci. Oh, I've been reading too much. I'm, I'm using words like Gramsci and cultural hegemony. In any case, it, it, uh, it uproots their dominance in the ideological landscape. They do not want conservatism to win. So they peddle this narrative that it can't. And I did a, a newsletter about this yesterday over at my Substack, andrewlawton.substack.com. I said, let's appropriate a line from the Marxists here. They always say real communism hasn't been tried. I think there's a good case to be made that real conservatism hasn't been tried, at least not since Stephen Harper. And that's my advice as someone who has voted conservative, who is philosophically on the right. I'm not partisan, but I, I'm philosophically there. And I want those ideas championed, whether they come from the CPC, the PPC, or anywhere else. I want them in the landscape. Start listening to who you are and not be afraid to tell Canadians that. What happens in conservatism in Canada is you get these leaders, these consultants, these campaign so-called experts that try to just narrow everything the party stands for to this tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of economic issues they think that Canadians care about. And Canadians do care about pocketbook issues, affordability, inflation. But they also care about more than that. And this is what we saw in the last election. Canadians were staring at record inflation levels and they still voted the Liberals back in. So this conservative gamble of let's only talk about the budget, let's only talk about inflation, let's only talk about this, that didn't even work. And it's not to say you have to be, you know, riding in on a Panzer tank and shooting an AR-15 in the air and wearing a cowboy hat and saying that, you know, we're going to roll back everything liberal, we're going to be pro-defense, we're going to be pro-gun. No, it's not that. Although, to be honest, I'd vote for someone who did that. So if you are planning a leadership bid, uh, if, if you want to do that as a video, I'll probably get a membership to the conservatives and vote for you. But the point is that you need someone that's prepared to speak to conservative issues and someone who's also not afraid of the media. And this is, to Pierre Polyev's credit, one of the things he does well. He rebuts the premises that are traps in press conferences. And if you look at this, he doesn't quite do it with as much bravado as Ron DeSantis, but a very similar idea. Maxime Bernier as well. Not that a lot of reporters are interviewing him, but when he does, he will not accept the flawed premise. He'll engage in the debate. And the problem when you accept the premise is that it's an unwinnable question. And the point that I raised in my substack that I want to share here as well is that when the media is hammering conservatives, it does happen, on things like the Wee Scandal and SNC-Lavalin, when the media is hammering the liberals, it is on matters of behavior, of conduct, of competence. When the media is hammering conservatives, they're wanting conservatives to answer for what they believe. It's why do you believe this? Why do you think this? Why does this person in your caucus think this? And the premise that the media puts forward is that conservatism is wrong and dirty and you should have to apologize for being a conservative. And this only feeds this leftward cultural shift that we've been talking about. It only feeds that and makes conservatism more unwinnable. So you need to have someone who's actually prepared to be a cultural leader who can start pushing back against this and in doing so not just lead the conservative party, but lead the conservative movement. And there is a leadership void in that space right now. And I would love to see a leadership candidate prepared to take that up. We'll be back in just a couple of moments time with more of the Andrew Lawton Show. Stay tuned. 
You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to the show. Well, as I mentioned earlier on, the situation in Ottawa is changing quite drastically. At first, it was just political grenades that were being thrown at members of the convoy, and now we're seeing Ottawa police have started to uh, ramp up their efforts. We've had reports of some being ticketed. We also have this issue of GoFundMe putting a, a pause on the donation campaign. want to welcome into the show Keith Wilson, who is a lawyer representing the leaders of the Freedom Convoy. Obviously, it's quite hectic in Ottawa right now, so uh, we have him by phone. Keith, I appreciate you taking the time. Why why do lawyers need to be involved now, first off? Well, as you can appreciate, um, <clears throat> with the maneuver that GoFundMe's made, uh, uh, one of our roles is to remove that blockade and have the money flow to the leaders of the Freedom Convoy so that the truckers who have... Uh, encouraged Canadians and those around the world with this convoy and expended their personal funds can receive the monies that so many have donated. There's a number of legal complexities that arise with corporate law and banking requirements. Also, um, you mentioned the activities of the Ottawa police. There's been these strange threats from city councillors and other things uh, that we've all heard about in the news that some of which are so strange, I, I won't repeat them, but uh, we're ready if the Ottawa police or the city seek to bring any injunction application to seek to expel the truckers who are engaged in a lawful protest in their nation's capital. So we're on standby here on the ground. We've got a team of five lawyers. Uh, we're all with the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms. And we've agreed to represent the truckers and deal with any legal issues that might arise here on the ground. Let's talk about this GoFundMe situation for a moment, because this uh, this campaign's up to almost uh, $10,100,000, as I understand it, at, at last look here. And this block has been in place for, I think, well over a day now. And, and how much of this money has already been withdrawn? I mean, how much money of that uh, $10.1 is GoFundMe itself holding right now? So GoFundMe is holding, one million has been advanced and um, there are legal steps that have to be implemented in order to disperse that to the truckers. And that's the highest priority of the organizers, the legal team. We also have accountants here, the accounting team. That's what we're working on uh, right this moment, as a matter of fact. Um, And so GoFundMe is holding on to in excess of $9 million dollars. Now, is this part of GoFundMe's standard procedure, or is there the implication of, of some sort of funny business either on, on GoFundMe's part or perhaps pressure from outside, from government or law enforcement? Well, we all know that uh, the Trudeau government is trying to put as much pressure as they can on the um, uh, GoFundMe. Uh, you're, I'm sure you've covered, and I haven't even been had a chance to really follow the news. We've been so busy here on the ground. Uh, but uh, with these threats to to seize the funds, the city's talked about that, these uh, calling some motion, I understand, in Parliament to have GoFundMe officials come up and testify. It's really incredible that the, the it is the Prime Minister who's engaged in hate speech by calling uh, the unvaccinated truckers misogynist and racist and saying, you know, how do we deal with these people? 
and other divisive comments. And the allegation from the Trudeau government as to why the funds should not be released or somehow seized is because the truckers are engaged in hate speech. It's just remarkable, the hypocrisy here. We had Nova Scotia adopt an executive, well, not an executive order, but an order in council, a ministerial directive a few days back uh, that actually prohibited somehow financing of the convoy. So arguably anyone donating to this. Now, I, I don't know if that's an even remotely enforceable, but governments have shown a willingness clearly to crack down on the funding here. And, and for the convoy, they've said they're planning to stay in place and they need resources to do that for fuel, for food and, and so on. So going after the funding is a very effective way if you are trying to shut down this peaceful protest. Well, what it shows me or what it says to me, rather, is that the politicians are afraid. They're feeling the power of the people, not just across this country, but around the world. The spark that Tamara Leach and, and Chris Barber lit when they organized the Freedom Convoy and set up the GoFundMe uh, is just so incredibly inspiring. And, you know, I think politicians know that if they get a petition and it's got a thousand signatures on it or 5,000 signatures, it doesn't mean much. But mm. what politicians know is how hard it is to raise money. And when they look at how much money people, hardworking people have put into GoFundMe because they believe in their heart that what these truckers is doing is right. And it's the shining light in the darkness that we've been suffering through. That's why they're scared. And they should be scared. They should be scared because the people of Canada are right to say to the government that you've overstepped your authority. You've gone where you shouldn't have gone. And it's time now to immediately respect our charter rights and get rid of all of these ridiculous mandates and restrictions. The, does GoFundMe have in its terms of service wide latitude to do exactly this? Or would you say, in your legal opinion, that they're on thin ground in their conduct right now? Well, I'm not going to, as you would appreciate, get into the nuances of our legal position mm -hmm. uh, in the media. But I will share with you and your listeners or your, your viewers this, that... GoFundMe exists and is successful as a platform because individuals know that they can take their, when they see there's something out there that they believe in. I mean, personally, I, I, somebody had a, a brain aneurysm and it was just terrible impact on their family. And my wife and I donated because we wanted to get money to them. I've just, you know, we've all donated to GoFundMe because we get moved by someone in need or somebody doing something that we really want to support. So we make that critical decision to take our hard earned dollars and donate it. And then we give that money to that person in the expectation that they're going to get it to the person in need and that person doesn't do it. That's a problem for their platform. It really comes down to integrity. Let me ask you this then, Keith. Are they negotiating or discussing this in good faith? Are they giving you clear and transparent timelines and, and uh, positions so that we can get this money where it was donated to? Uh, GoFundMe has raised, is going, going through responsible due diligence steps uh, to ensure that the the uh, Freedom Convoy has established a not-for-profit corporation. 
that occurred with the accounting and legal team on Monday. Um, we're taking the proper steps. Um, we've answered the questions that GoFundMe has reasonably raised. And it's now up to GoFundMe to make a decision. Are they going to release the funds? Not their money, but the tens of thousands of people who donated in support of freedom and the initiative of these truckers? Or are they not? I know there have been questions that have been advanced by the media, and I think at one point by the Ottawa police chief about, you know, donations coming from out of Canada. But I, I don't understand why that's a problem. I mean, the convoy has become uh, quite globally significant. I know it's been covered on American media, British media. There's nothing inherently wrong about donations from outside of the country, is there? No, no nothing. It's a very bizarre criticism. So I guess just, to, I know you have to get back to your work and it is busy on the ground there, but, but are you hopeful that this is going to be resolved? I am, and, and we're putting in a, an alternative mechanism for people to donate, and it's called Give, Send, Go. And uh, we hope to have that operational today so that uh, if this becomes a prolonged situation with GoFundMe, that there'll be another way for people to show their support for the efforts that our truckers are making to restore our freedoms. Give, Send, Go, that's, as I understand, a Christian crowdfunding site. So obviously this isn't a religious movement, but uh, someone who may be a bit more ideologically on side, if that's the issue. They have committed that under no circumstances will they impede the flow of the donations directly to the organization to get to the truckers on the ground. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you're on the ground. Like I said, I think most Canadians uh, wished it didn't have to come to the point where uh, a legion of lawyers needed to show up. But as we see uh, some of these hurdles that are being put in place, I I'm glad you're there to deal with them immediately. I appreciate you taking some time out of that to talk to us today. Thanks very much, Keith. Thank you very much, Andrew. Keith Wilson, lawyer representing the leaders of the convoy retained by the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, which has been on the ground. Uh, we will leave it there. Certainly we'll have more updates on this in the coming days. We've got reporters on the ground in Ottawa, and I may be back there myself. But at this point, we are just seeing what's happening with this. And these truckers, they said they're there to stay. But obviously, this means that some people are trying to turn off the tap of the funds that make that possible. So whatever you think about it, these certainly seem to be very related. We have to wrap it up. We'll talk to you in just a couple days' time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.